Everybody has doubts. We all have a tendency to second guess ourselves. Did I do the right thing? Did I make the right decision? Should I take this 85 inch TV back to the store? <laughs> there are many kinds of doubt. Now, when we doubt the future, we call it worry. When we doubt other people, we call it suspicion. When we doubt ourselves, we call it inferiority. When we doubt God, we call it unbelief. When we doubt what we hear on TV, we call it intelligent. Anybody? Yeah, please. They don't believe everything you hear. When we doubt everything, we call it cynicism and skepticism. They say men typically go through a period of doubt called the midlife crisis. Yeah, we doubt our virility, we doubt our ability, and we doubt our senility. Midlife crisis is the age of the three Bs, bifocals, baldness, and bulges. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. In James chapter 1, verse 6, he says, if any man doubts, he's like a wave bash back, back and forth. He's unstable in all of his ways. So do you ever doubt? Do Christians ever doubt? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 in the Good News translation reads this way. Paul says, we are often troubled, but not crushed. Sometimes in doubt, don't know what's going on, but never in despair. There are many enemies, but we are never without a friend. And though we badly hurt at times, we are not destroyed. The point here, it's possible to have some doubts, but not be defeated by them. In other words, it's not going to stop me from doing what God said, but I'm thinking, don't know how this is going to work out. Don't know how God's going to do it. I don't know if this can be overturned. I don't know if, have you ever had that feeling? Well, if you've got life, you did. Sure you do. But God loves you just the same. So I'm going to show you the difference here in just a second about unbelief mentioned by Scripture and just doubt. This morning, I'm going to do a couple of things. Let me look at three causes of doubts that attack us all. And then I want to show you how you deal with the doubts. How do you overcome them? First, what are some of the causes of doubt? How about critics? Critics cause us to doubt God. There are people who challenge us, who ridicule your belief, and the Bible talks them about them as scoffers. All of us have been in a classroom or at work or somewhere where your faith was criticized or challenged. By the way, the first thing the devil said that we have recorded is back in Genesis, and he says, has God said? Here comes the ultimate critic to say, I don't care what God said. Uh, we voted that you can do this. The culture says it's okay to do this. But God said. So the first thing the enemy will attack through people, through media, through anybody with any kind of a platform, he will attack the validity of God's word. You just have to know it. You gotta, you're going to believe one, you're going to believe the other. I heard about a young man in school, and the teacher stood up and said, the Bible doesn't make sense. It's hard to understand. Nobody should even try to read it. You can't understand it at all. And one of the young men raised his hand and said, sir, the Bible is God's love letter to Christians, and that's what you get for reading somebody else's mail. <laughs> critics, critics can cause people to doubt God or doubt God's word. It's being attacked all the time. David had to deal with critics. When you sowed the seed and the seed was the word of God, the birds came and snatched it up. It, there's an attack on that seed every time it's sown. And the enemy wants to rip it out of your heart and mind so it doesn't produce any good thing. 
Now, to be smart enough to know that, right? So David had to deal with critics. Back in, I think it's Psalm 73, he talked about them. He says they scoff at God, how proud they speak. So God's people are now dismayed and confused, and they're drinking it all in. Does God realize what's going on, they asked. So critics can cause you to doubt. We are affected to some degree by critics. God says about them, they're proud. See, the most critics are egotistical. They believe you're unintelligent if you believe God or believe the Bible. But the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I want to tell you this. I can go all the way back to my college days, back to high school. And I mean, we're talking about we were some of the lowest things in the earth back then with that rabble-rousing crowd that I grew up with, went to school with. I don't think anybody ever said there's no God. Now, they might have thought something wrong about that God or had some wrong definition about who he is and what he was. But you'd have to be mentally disturbed to say there's no God. You're, every creation has the little bit of light of God in them at creation. See, it doesn't matter how many degrees a person has behind their name. If they don't believe in God, God says he's a fool. All you got to do is look at the overwhelming evidence that the creation manifests by a creator. I mean, I was once, let me pause a minute. I was once in the Kruger National Park in South Africa uh, with my, my brother-in-law, Bruce Gunkel, and we were out there looking at rhinoceroses and giraffes and the zebras and the hippopotamus. I mean, you talk about variety. And I remember Bruce said, just off the cuff, looking at these weird animals. What in the world did God make these things for? And I said, just to show his creativity and handiwork. The earth shows forth the handiwork of God. God says all of it is an expression of who I am. Isn't it interesting he didn't make anything just black and white? We've got color and diversity. God loves diversity, not division, but diversity. That's why he made you. <laughs> Look how diverse the Lord is. Woo. Yeah. But, but it was true. I mean, he just expresses himself through the creation and the heavens. They declare the glory of God. You go, wow, that's awesome. But to say it just fell into place is like tearing up a New York phone book, throwing it through a shredder, shaking it up in a box, and out comes an unabridged dictionary. Not possible. So critics can cause us to doubt. I've heard people say, well, I accept only what I can understand. <laughs> Good luck with that. You're going to doubt a lot. You wouldn't accept the fact Neil Armstrong rocked on the moon because you can't understand how it's possible. If God could be completely understood, he wouldn't be God. He says, my thoughts are above your thoughts. My ways are past finding out. God says, you don't even count when it comes to comparing with me. And again and again, David said, they scoff. Where is that God of yours, they say. But oh, my soul, don't be discouraged. Don't be upset. Expect God to act. So critics can't stand to be around joyful, confident believers. They want us to be miserable like them. So they're always trying to criticize and put down and deny, which can lead some weak in faith to doubt. Here's another cause of doubt, your conscience. Our consciences can cause us to doubt. When you feel guilty, you have a tendency to rationalize your theology, your beliefs, to fit your lifestyle. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19, here's what Paul says. He says, for some people have disobeyed their consciences and have deliberately done what they knew was wrong. It isn't surprising that soon they lost their faith in Christ after denying God like that. If you have a guilty conscience, then generally you're going to start trying to deny your belief. It's like, it's like I go out and get a ticket on the freeway, and then I come in and announce to everybody, I don't believe in the highway patrol. I don't believe in traffic court. I don't believe in judges, and I don't believe in a 65-mile-an-hour speed limit. Well, that isn't going to change anything because Ricky G is still going to get a ticket. <laughs> yeah. See, it's still a fact. I got a ticket. So unbelief is often an excuse to justify a lifestyle that would be contrary to what God's best would be for you. Now, I've only spoken to a couple of people who said, I don't believe in God, and I'm never really interested in the fact they don't believe in God. Doesn't shock me. I want to know why. And you'll often find out they are engaged in a practice. This could be in corporate world, could be ethics, could be morals. They're in some type of a lifestyle. They know it's wrong and they know they'd have to change. So very often the real issue is not whether you believe in God or not, but are you willing to change? Often their morality will determine their theology and the way we act. So people who don't want to change or be changed will say, well, that's just your interpretation, but I believe, or I don't care what God says, I believe. And like Satan said to Eve, hath God said, he doesn't really mean what he says, so I realize our culture changes every few years. Our, our, uh, what's legal changes, what's illegal changes, what's accepted, what is considered the norm is always the law. It's always changing. God says, I'm going to give you something that is a platform that won't let you down. My word, it's eternal. It's immutable. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word won't stand on it, stand on it and be unshakable in every storm. And the enemy wants to cut that out from under all of us. So our conscience, our conscience can cause us to doubt God. Third, circumstances can cause us to doubt God. And by the way, that's the number one reason people often doubt God. When our prayers go unanswered, when a tragedy out of nowhere suddenly strikes, when we're suddenly faced with an impossible situation, we're tempted to doubt God. Jesus is out on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples. He's asleep in the boat. Big storm comes up. And in Mark chapter 4, it comes up and they wake Jesus up and say, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Now, that's a typical reaction, at least internally by most of us, when we get under pressure and something unexpected happens, we weren't planning. We start doubting. Don't you care, God? Don't you care? <laughs> Anybody but me ever, ever feel a little bit of thumb-sucking self-pity? Don't you care, God? Hey, I'm still San Antonio over here. Yeah, yeah, all of us, you, I want to show you the, the good news. In spite of that, God can work. You, you can, I can be in a bad situation, and, and I could think to my, dear God, I don't see how this will ever work. I don't see how this need will ever be met. I don't see how this can be covered. I, I, don't, know, I don't know how God could use me to do that or that. Doubt, but I obey. I step out, and I, I don't see how God can make my 90% go further than 100%, but I'm going to trust him and believe what he said, and, and I pay my tithe, etc. I'm just saying, whatever God said he would do, he will do. You, you have to just step out in, in faith. 
And so sometimes I'm thinking, I don't know how you're going to fix this. Has anybody but me ever said, I doubt, I don't know how God, I doubt that'll ever work. And then God, you, you, you do what God said while you're feeling that, and God comes through. If you didn't, God would never come through. I'm trying to show you it's possible to have some, some realistic doubts and, and put your faith in God at the same time, and God will honor that. You, you'll, you need to see that in a moment. A Gallup poll showed that 90%, 96%, I think it was, it was huge, of all Americans believe in God. But it's the type of God they doubt. What's he like? Is he personal? Is he loving? Can he be depended on? Is he interested in me? Does he care about me? Those are the kinds of doubts people have. I've never met a real genuine atheist who doubted God for intellectual reasons. The fact is every person that I've met who claimed to be an atheist doubted God because some Christian had burned them. It wasn't intellectual doubt. It was the fact that when I was a kid, I went to church and somebody hurt me or molested me or, or, or defrauded me in some way. And I thought, well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, forget it, God. So a lot of atheists are simply resentful of people who have hurt them or they've been hurt by Christians or by the church in some way. So critics, our conscience and circumstances can cause all of us to have some doubts towards God. So how do we keep our doubts from defeating us? A couple of quick suggestions. None of them are tough. Listen, number one, admit your doubt. It's like you're not faking God out. He knows. You, you can, you, you know, the, the AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, I can't help you if you can't admit you got a problem. God can't help you if you don't admit you have a problem. Admit your doubts. I remember when Charles Simpson said, I smoked three packs a day. He was a preacher. And he said, I'd go to the altar and I'd, I'd make my pledge. I'd give my pack of cigarettes down. And I'd, oh, God, take this from me. Then he said, one day I got honest. He said, I said, Lord, I don't want to quit. If I could eat them, I would. I don't even want you to take it away from me. But I know it's, it's bad for me. It looks pitiful with me claiming you can do anything and me stuck here. So if you can help me, please help me. Now that got an answer, but no jive talking with God. <laughs> I never will forget him saying that. My God, I love those cigarettes. I'd eat them if I could. I thought, how do you get more honest than that? Now God can handle that. Okay, religious people can't, but God can handle that. So it's okay to get honest with God and say, hey, Lord, I got some doubts. You can't overcome them unless you recognize them. And so many people who are Christians are intimidated by their doubts. A doubt comes up, starts to creep into their mind. They start thinking, oh, no, maybe, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe God won't love me if I've got some of these doubts. They can't face the fact they've got some legitimate, honest questions. Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest man ever born of a woman. But even old Johnny had some doubts. John the Baptist wasn't sure. When John the Baptist was put in prison, you remember, he was the top guy in social media. He drew the biggest crowds. He was on more TV channels. He had the biggest church going. Old John the Baptist was top deck. He was the superstar. And then everything went bad. Jesus showed up, and suddenly he wasn't the star of the show. And now... He's going into prison, right? 
he, he's at a low ebb. He thought, well, no problem. Jesus will get me out of here. I've seen him do everything. And Jesus doesn't send him any flowers, doesn't send a couple of elders over to encourage him. We're praying for you, John. Doesn't do anything. So John sends some people on his staff to go to Jesus and say, uh, excuse me, Lord, was I wrong? Did I make a mistake? Are you really the Messiah? Because I'm still over here in prison. <laughs> he had doubts. And Jesus sent the people back to John to reassure him. He didn't condemn John, didn't criticize him. He turned around and said to the crowd, John the Baptist is the greatest man who's ever been born. And that's right after John expressed doubts about who Jesus might be. That's reasonable. Remember the story of Thomas, one of the 12 disciples? He missed the first reappearance of Jesus after his resurrection. So when the other guys told him they had already seen Jesus alive and touched him, Oh, Thomas said, well, I won't believe until I see him and touch the nail-scarred hands for myself. And when Jesus did reappear, first thing he says, come over here, Tom. Touch me. Feel my side. And Jesus said, see the wounds for yourself and don't be faithless or unbelieving. He didn't criticize Thomas. He didn't yell at him. He simply opened his arms in love and Thomas became a devout believer. The, the point is, not even your doubts can stop God from loving you. Even if you doubt something about him, he loves you, and that ain't going to change. And that's what the story of Thomas is all about. I've had doubts. You've had doubts. And when I get to heaven, there are some things I'd like to ask Jesus that I still don't know or I'm not sure of. But I don't doubt his character, and I don't doubt his love, and I don't doubt that his word is true. But boy, my body will go crazy, and my mind will go crazy trying to figure it out. Some doubts. How are you going to do this? I don't see how it'll work. I don't know if that'll ever work. Doubt. Have you ever done something in business or made a speech or a talk or tried to do something, and it was so bad you walked off saying, I doubt God even called me to do that. I've preached a few messages like that. <laughs> and I thought, Lord, are you sure? I, I still think I ought to have a condo in Monte Carlo and be an arms dealer. Yeah, I, I didn't think you had a good idea. Uh, doubt. Not total unbelief, doubt. Not sure. Not sure. I'm trying to say, you, you gotta, this is a process of growing. And, and you know, you should get smarter. You should get stronger. Your faith should get stronger, but nobody starts off great. In Jude 1, verse 22, it says, be merciful to those who doubt. Now, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt's when you honestly just don't know what God wants you to do in a situation. You, you don't even know how to pray about it. Unbelief is when you know exactly what God wants you to do, but you refuse to do it. That's unbelief, and that's a sin. So he says, be merciful to those who doubt. The strongest faith comes out of struggles with your doubt. <laughs> David said in, in Psalms, God, I don't know what's going on. I felt that a few times. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Even Job with all of his trouble. Oh, Job said, God, are you sure you really love me? Are you sure you know what's going on? Are you involved in this at all? Are you sure you have the power to change my situation? Or Abraham, you know, not believing he's going to be a father at age 100 
and his wife being told as an elderly woman, 90 years old, she's going to have a baby. And she laughed, and they named the baby Isaac, which means laughter, you know. So <laughs> I know she doubted. If a 90-year-old woman were to get pregnant, she wouldn't have laughed like Sarah. She would have cried. <laughs> we know she doubted. And in fact, if you read it, it says they tried, they tried to believe God even though the womb was dead. And if, as you get older, you understand what that, what that means. Pretty much everything dies. But <laughs> 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 I, I, this is real life. I just, I just love it. I mean, these are, these are great patriarchs, but they had some doubts. They weren't sure about everything. How's God going to do this? So how do you keep your doubts from defeating you? Admit them, number one, to God. Number two, learn how to doubt your doubts, but rely on God's word. Doubt your doubts. Ironically, we usually do the opposite. You know, we doubt our beliefs and we believe our doubts. Now, that doesn't make sense. Let's learn to doubt our doubts. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of my favorite verses of memory. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not, Rick, to your own understanding. It'll always lead me away from what God wants me to do or what God has said in his word. Always. It, my, I'll lean to my own understanding. See, well, I don't know how God, well, it doesn't make sense to me, me either, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. That's the difference. That's why it, it, you, that little bit of doubt won't stop God from working. You can have faith in God and have some doubts. And God says, that's good enough. That'll carry you through and I'll prove it to you in just a second. So what do you listen to the most? Who do you listen to the most? You listen to God's word or do you listen to all the blab going on social media or in the world right now? Or do you listen to your feelings? I don't feel loved. I don't feel God in my life. I don't feel like God has a plan for me. I don't feel good enough. Well, come on in, baby. The water's fine. We all feel that. We all feel that at multiple times during a week and a month and a year. You think you're the only one? So my flesh is always screaming out something, and God is making a statement, and sometimes you just have to rebel against the flesh and doubt it and say, I know God said he would, I know God could, I know he will, and you stand on that. But it didn't mean I didn't have any doubts, didn't mean I wasn't concerned about it, see? So I'm going to listen to God's promises through his word, not my feelings. My feelings are up and down. Nobody would stay married if you lived by feeling alone. I don't feel loved. I don't feel whatever. I don't feel either. Sometimes I don't feel nothing. <laughs> See, so people have opinions, but God says, hey, you want to you you have unshakable life? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge me, believe my word, and I will deliver you. God's going to bring it through. I remember we came to San Antonio to start this church. I had lots of doubts. And then I have a wife and she had more doubts. How are we going to, you're going to quit your job. You're going to sell the house. We're going to drive into town. We have no promise of anything. We don't have our, we don't have our partners. We don't have anything, but what we get from the sale of this house, we're going to bet the farm on God. Shoot. I had a lot of questions. 
I, I mean, I've struggled with that. I don't know how you're going to, how are you going to feed this family? How you, you've allowed me to go to this plateau and now you're going to interrupt my life and drag me somewhere and I have to trust you. Oh, God. excuse me, Lord. I have to trust you. I can't solve this problem myself. And I don't know how you're going to do it, and I don't feel good enough, and I don't think I ought to pastor a church, and I think you ought to leave me in, in sales and, and world travel and uh, import-export business, and I can give a lot of money to the church. That went nowhere. And I just thought that, and then I sat on a porch of a rented house. How would you like to come into town? No salary. You just got your little bit of money from your sale of your house, and you don't even know how much should I pay for rent. How long can I live paying that rent? And then a wife that has to show up and she hadn't even seen the house, you rented. I'd rather face the devil than her. <laughs> just saying. Everybody's been through that. And I, and I just remember, and I remember I had a little deal. I said, okay, Lord, when the money runs out, if this thing's not self-sustaining, I'm out of here and you're free and I'm free. Praise God. <laughs> but I'm still here. So it worked. <laughs> But I had lots of doubts. I had lots of doubts. Doubt my own worthiness, doubted myself, doubted my abilities. I'm trying to encourage somebody today. But I, I obeyed in spite of my doubts, and God said, that's good enough. So the moral of the story is when God tells you to do something, you don't have to figure out all the doubts, answer all the questions before you say yes to the commitment. And the third way you deal with these doubts is you start with the faith you already have. That's all. Not how much. Everybody's got a little bit. Even though it might be small, start with what you have. In Mark chapter 9, a man comes to Jesus to beg him to heal his son. And Jesus said, if you can believe, I will heal him. In verse 24, the father says, Lord, I do believe. Or I wouldn't ask you. Help me overcome my unbelief, my doubts. Have you ever felt like that? Say, you can have faith that God wants to do something with you and be scared to death at the same time. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is obedience in the face of fear. This man was filled with faith and doubt, and yet because he was honest to admit his doubt and come to Jesus in spite of him, Jesus healed his kid. Yeah. See, no matter how weak you think your faith is, it's enough to get you going. It doesn't take much faith. What's in your hand? God never asked anybody in the Bible, excuse me, what don't you have? He only asked, what do you have? For a little widow woman, pitiful, in a famine, she's got a little cruise of oil and some meal. God gets, give it to me. And he multiplied it for a year. Moses, what's in your hand? Oh, come on, Lord, a stick. They're all over the desert out here. You can have one. He said, give it to me. And it became the rod of God. Opened the Red Sea. Brought all kind of plagues on Egypt. David, what's in your hand? Well, I tried a sword, a spear, and armor. Didn't work. I got a slingshot. Pretty good with that. Okay, I'll use that. Here's what I want to say. God will use whatever he gave you, not me, you, to build your future, your destiny, and your call on what you have is enough to get started. In Matthew 17, verse 20, he said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible to you. 
In the middle of that verse, it says, if you have faith as the mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move, and it will be moved. See, mustard seed faith will move mountains. Don't reverse it. We often want to say, well, if you got faith like a mountain, you can move a mustard seed. <laughs> it doesn't say that as if it takes enormous faith to do a small task. Everybody has some faith. You had faith this morning when you ate your Cheerios or your eggs that your wife hadn't poisoned them. You didn't know. You had faith when you sat in your chair, it wouldn't be wet and it wouldn't collapse. Everybody has a measure of faith. The atheist has faith there is no God. He's got to have faith in that. See, it's not the size of your faith that makes the difference. It's what you put your little faith in that makes the difference. A little faith plus a big unlimited God equals big time results. I've often talked to people who said they don't want to make any commitments or attempt anything or start a ministry until they have all their doubts cleared up. Well, good luck with that. Well, I want, to, I want to be sure before I get married. Well, by the time you're in a senior home, I, you think you're sure now? Yeah. Or before we have children or before I make an investment? That's crazy. The, the right time is the moment God speaks, you jump at it. You obey his word when and wherever you are, see? But he wouldn't require any faith. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. There's always a measure of risk. I've had people say, Rick, I want, to be, I, want to, I want to get baptized. I want to join the church. But don't you think I ought to have all my doubts resolved before I follow the Lord in baptism? Absolutely not. I've been a Christian for 40 years. And there are areas where I have questions I'd like to ask God about. I don't have any doubt Jesus died, paid for my sin, rose from the dead. But I got a lot of questions about other stuff. You don't have any? Oh, my. I got plenty to ask him about. You don't have to figure everything out in advance. You begin with the faith you have. God says, that'll be fine. A friend once said, why didn't, why didn't somebody ever tell me that I could become a Christian and work on all my doubts afterward? See, every little step you take towards Jesus moves you further away from doubt, discouragement, depression, and despair. So what, what are you doubting today? Maybe you're doubting God loves you. If God loved me, why did he allow this to happen? Well, we're celebrating Christmas. God sent his son to redeem the whole world to himself. God had a big purpose in that. It wasn't just for a few special people. It wasn't just for right-wing people. It was for everybody, every race, every tribe, every nationality, every tongue. God, that birth of Jesus was a big plan to reconcile, and I'm going to talk about it next week, reconcile the whole world to him. He wants everybody in his family. So maybe you doubt he loves you. Some of you are doubting God's care. If God really cared, why do you allow this to happen? Some of you are doubting God's power. God, I'm going bankrupt. God, they said, I've got a terminal illness, or my wife or spouse is walking out on me, and you're doubting God's power. Some of you are doubting God's forgiveness. You've confessed it. God's forgiven you, but you keep coming back over and over. You've confessed it 1,500 times, and God wants to say, would you shut up? I have no memory of what you're talking about. I forgave you as far as the east is from the west. I will remember your sin no more. You're doubting my forgiveness. Some of you are doubting God's faithfulness. What's going to happen to me? What does my future hold? God says, my plans for you are good. This is in Jeremiah 23. Good plans to give you a hope and a future, to do you good and not evil, 
And I have to believe that no matter what mess I may be in at the moment, God's got a good plan for me and for you too. So we all have doubts. Admit them and then doubt them. Begin with the faith you have. What was it that turned Thomas the doubter into Thomas the believer? A personal encounter with Jesus Christ. You need to meet Jesus personally and say, Lord Jesus, I want to believe. Help me with my unbelief. And that's it. Jesus healed the boy for that very statement. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.